Hi, welcome to the Really Telling It Like It Is program. I'm Apostle Baker, Jay Baker, who is a doctor in psychology, and I want to welcome you to this special program. We're starting a new series today on sonship. I want you to push those buttons, invite your friends, enemies, um, family members, whatever it is, because I have Apostle Michael Fram still with me. And, um, and Apostle Eddie is not going to send a little text thing saying, let my, you know, <laughs> my people go so they can be someplace else with somebody else. You know, I'm not concerned about that. You see, I got my zebra stuff on today, so you know I'm not concerned. Anyway, we're here to provoke you to think about how you think about the kingdom of God, how you think about the word of God how you think about yourself, who you are, where you're going, and all of those things. And Apostle Michael is coming on right now, and we're going to discuss this. I'm going to open him up, wire him up, and I might look in a couple of times uh, to ask him questions that come up, but otherwise, he's just going to roll with it. So welcome, Apostle Michael. Hey, Doc. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been having so much fun being your guest and, and being with you on the really telling it like it is program, because as you told me, not everybody can come here because not everybody will really tell it like it is, but I will. <laughs> so, you know, I'm excited about talking about sonship and it's, it's a subject that's very near and dear to me because I'm in the unique position of being a son and a father at the same time, both in the natural and in the kingdom. I grew up the son of Apostle Leo Fram and Apostle Edith Fram. And you had the privilege of meeting my folks a few weeks ago when we had our convergence in Cleveland, Ohio. And I would not be who I am or what I am, but wasn't for what Leo and Edith have poured into me. And so they were my natural parents and they were my spiritual parents. And when I first began to hear about sonship, it totally made sense to me because I lived it. I lived sonship. And not only did I live it, I saw it lived out in front of me all over the world. I knew what it was like to be with my dad in the Philippines in 1999 and see us get off of one of those little, um, it, it looked like a, almost a moped or a scooter with a little two-seater behind it with a little canopy over it. And they took us out to this rural village town that was outside of San Fernando La Union. And we get there and I see all these Filipinos come running across the compound. Dr. Fram, Papa Fram, running to hug him. And I was like, what in the world is this? And then I'm with them in 1997, and we're in Kenya. 
and we're out in South Nanza province, about a mile to a mile and a half from Lake Victoria, which is where they actually filmed the Tarzan movies out in Lake Victoria. The same thing. People come running across the compound in the little village. We were sleeping in mud huts and there was no running water. You wanted running water, you fill your bucket and run with it. That was your running water. And they come running, Papa Fram, Papa. And I saw this all over the world. And I had people would come up to me at, at meetings or at conferences and they say, we share parents because your mama and your papa are our mama and our papa. So therefore you're our big brother. And so I have so many siblings all over the world and in the States because my mom and dad were a spiritual mom and dad to them. And so I was used to seeing this lived out in front of me. So I knew what it was before I ever heard it taught out of the Bible. For many people, the, the precept comes first and then comes the example. I had it backwards. I had the example lived out in front of me and knew what it was long before I could ever teach it biblically, long before I could take two scriptures and string them together in an organized thought process, I knew this is what sonship looked like. And in the fall of 2015, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and he said, it is time for you to do for others what Leo did for you. That one statement changed my life because I knew what Leo did for me. I knew how he poured into me. I knew how he saw what was in me and channeled me and steered me towards that, even without telling me. And I saw what he did for others, not only around me locally, but for others around the world. And so I knew that my ministry, as they would say down south, it was fixing the change because I had a new mandate that was thrown into my life that I had never had before. And the most amazing thing happened to me, and the only thing I can relate it to, is I remember Dad Hagen, Reverend Kennedy Hagen Sr. used to say, you know, he was out and he was on, you know, the field ministry and he was preaching and he was operating as an evangelist and he used to preach like a house of fire. And one day God said to him, I want you to go teach my people faith. And he had never done that before. He was always a fireball preacher. And if you ever hear any of his old, old, old messages, he was. He would wind up and let it rip. Now, in his later years, he wasn't like that. He was a teacher. But he said he never had the ability to teach until God said to him, go teach my people faith. And he said when God said that to him, it was as if, not that it was, but it was as if somebody dropped a quarter in a payphone or somebody dropped a quarter in a jukebox and it went clink. And he said when that happened, the teaching gift dropped in his spirit.
And all of a sudden, he could teach where before he never could. Well, when God made that statement to me, and he said, it's time for you to do for others what Leo did for you, something dropped in my spirit exactly the same way. Just as if somebody dropped a quarter in a jukebox or somebody dropped a quarter in a payphone, and a father's heart dropped in my spirit. Now, I've been teaching and preaching since I was 17 years old. And I always believed in pouring into people. I always believed in proper, you know, hermeneutics and homiletics and exegesis, all those things that dad taught me. But I never had a father's heart. And I never wanted to see another generation raised up in the way that I do now. And so when, when that happened to me, everything within me and how I viewed the kingdom changed. And I began to look at the kingdom as a father-son order, as a heavenly father with sons, and that we would also have spiritual fathers that would be raising up sons. It wasn't enough to be a teacher. It wasn't enough to be a mentor. It wasn't enough to be a trainer. But there was a call to fatherhood and to sonship. And so I want to quickly hit some of the foundation scriptures that began to change my life and lay out some principles before we get into the nitty gritty. And I see that finger. I know what that means. <laughs> okay. I want to I, I want to share something really quickly because I want to hear this. But I remember, you know, as you were talking, the 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 Lord reminded me of the day exactly where I was in Scotts Valley when he dropped his heart, the father's heart into me. Now, my father died when I was about five, six years old. And so I didn't know that earthly, that earthly father, the thing that you had. But what happened to me was this. It was one of those things that I immediately was able to receive the father's heart for others. I had raised my children, you know, mother and father type thing and whatever it is. I was both because I was, you know, uh, divorced, unmarried, whatever. But one of the things of it is, is there's a defining moment. Just as you were saying, there's a defining moment. And some people fake that defining moment because of, and, and I'm throwing these things out here because I know eventually you will talk about them. I'm doing, that's the purpose I'm doing it for. Uh, <laughs> you know me so well. No, I'm just winding it up, okay? You know. Uh, but but there is a defining moment, and many times what happens is this. I've seen this with with people that I love what you said at the uh, uh, convergence, as as you were imparting, not whatever. Any rate, uh, as you were imparting, and in that impartation, you were talking about the genuineness of it, and 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 uh, the genuineness of it. And every apostle, everyone that's called an apostle, does not operate from this true defining moment because it changes everything about you. From that moment on, 
it is not about you and your life anymore. It is about those that the father has given you and that you will birth into it. So I just wanted to throw those little things out there, you know, just in case, you know, you, you know, I'm finished. Go for it. <laughs> well, here's a couple of scriptures that really helped me early on. And they're really the bedrock of the doctrinal foundation for biblical sonship. And the first one is very unusual, and most people would read it and read over it and not see the understanding of it. And I want to go to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 3. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 3. And most Bibles above verse 23 in Luke, Chapter 3, they say it's one of those subheadings. And they call it the genealogy of Jesus. And this is where you find the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. In Matthew, it's so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. That's how Matthew does it. Luke does it, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. And most people are reading the son of, the son of, the son of. And eventually it's kind of like, well, son of a gun. And they just get tired of reading the son of and read right over things. But it's not wasted words. There's meaning to them. And the very last verse of Luke chapter 3, which is verse 38. It says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, most people gloss right over that, and they don't realize that not only was Adam created in the image and the likeness of God, but Adam was created as a human son of God. Adam was created to have fellowship with God because God wanted a human family. And he wanted a being that was in his image and in his likeness that he could fellowship with. Because you can only fellowship with one that is like you. You can't fellowship with a cow. Because a cow is not like you. And this is one reason that many times believers and unbelievers can't fellowship because they're not alike. You can only have fellowship with those that are like you. So God had to create one that was like him and he called them his son. So that when we look at man from the very, very beginning, Man was created as a son of God. Now, Adam lost his position as son. The Bible refers to Jesus as the only begotten son of God. Adam was the created son of God. But what Jesus came to restore 
was not just us back into relationship with the Father, but he came to restore our sonship. The Bible says that he became the firstborn of many brethren. And that it was his purpose to bring many sons to glory. I just got a thought. I'm just going to run with it. I'm abandoning where I was going, and I am detouring right now by the prompting of the Spirit. The law of Genesis tells us that everything produces after its own kind. And the law of Genesis also tells us that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time, and harvest. Now, God so believes that everything produces after its own kind, and he so believes in seed, time, and harvest, and that what you sow, you will reap. And the power of the seed has within it the power to reproduce. Now, I'm not talking about money right now. I'm not talking about finances. People will take this and talk about finances, and that is a application, but not the only application. The power of the seed has within it the power to reproduce after itself. Somebody once said, you can open an apple and see how many seeds are in it, but take one apple seed, you do not know how many apples are in it because the seed has the power to reproduce. Then Jesus taught us that unless a kernel of corn is buried in the ground and dies, it will not sprout up and bring a harvest of other corn. That that kernel must be buried and it must die in order to bring forth life. And then we get the stalk and then we get the ear and then we get the full corn in the ear because that seed, that kernel, was planted within the ground and died. But life came out of that which was planted, which had died. And so that seed that has the power to reproduce itself, we see it every single day. And every farmer that we have knows I can plant tomato seeds and I can get tomatoes. And I can plant corn and I can get corn, and I can plant apple seeds, and I can get an apple orchard. They know the power of reproduction that is within the seed, and they sow the seed with an expectancy of a harvest of the seed that they sow. God is no different. God so believes in the laws that he created. We've got to realize there are kingdom laws. There are spiritual laws. And God so believes in them that he operates by them. 
God sowed a seed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sowed a seed. He sowed the only begotten son of the father. And that seed of his son was sown with the expectation of a harvest. And it was sown with the expectation that that seed would multiply. And it was sown knowing that the seed would have to die and be buried and planted or else it would not bring forth life. And so Jesus in reality was born to die. There was an old song written years ago by Harry Balbeck and it was called Ring the Bells. And in that song, in the verse, it said, born to die that man might live, came to earth new life to give, born of Mary, born so low many years ago. In reality, Jesus was born to die. Unless a seed dies and is planted and is buried in the ground, it cannot bring forth life. But God so believed in that, he gave his only begotten son so that he might die and be planted and buried in the ground that he might come back in life, but not coming as a son. God so believed in seed time and harvest that he sowed the only begotten son so that he might reap a harvest of many sons brought into glory. God had it all about sons. It was always about sons. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right, the privilege, the authority to be called sons of God. It was all about sonship from the very beginning. So Adam was a created son. Jesus was the only begotten son. But Jesus came and laid down his life. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and the power to pick it back up again. And he allowed himself to be, he could have called 10,000 legions, but it was not the father's will. Father, if it's possible, we can do this. Let's do it some other way. I don't want to go through my, in my humanity, in my flesh, I do not want to go through with this. But in my divinity, which I yield to, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he willingly laid down his life. He willingly offered himself up as the propitiation or the sacrifice for sin. He willingly was buried, planted, dead. But a seed within itself was the power of reproduction. And because we believe we are the many sons, the Bible says that for the joy 
that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you want to know what the joy that was set before him was, my brother and sister? It is you and I. We were the joy that was set before him. And he saw us. One old songwriter said, when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. He was thinking about us. That's what enabled him to endure the cross and despise the shame. Because he knew the son seed was being sown into the ground, dead and buried, but would be resurrected and come back in life and bring many sons to glory. And now we've been adopted by the spirit of adoption, whereby in our hearts we cry, Abba, Father. And so the whole thing of the word of God is about a heavenly father and earthly sons that are part of his family. Doc. You said something that I really like. And I will use it, and I will not give you credit. No, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> not the first time, second time, no time. But you said something that I think that they, we really need to look at. You said sun seed. Sun seed. Yes. And in that, in that, there is so, so much. I know that as we continue to go on, that you're 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 going to be able to open this up because there is so much in that that people have not received, and if you don't receive the seed of the sun, then you will never walk. You will never truly walk in who you are. You will continue to do to be disobedient, remembering those things that are behind, and never being able to press forward to who it is that you really are. And so, uh, uh, Apostle Michael, I was taking a lot of notes this time, and you noticed that, you know, and following you. And this is, I, I'm just really so excited. I am, I am so excited about this subject. Because many, the, the adversary wants to take the sonship because we're, I'm a son. And they want to take it and pervert it in ways that it's being shown out there in the world. And I believe that as we go through this, you're going to be able to open this up. And uh, I'm so excited. I'm excited about our next week's program. I'm excited about all of it. And so I invite all of you to set your, your, your clock, to do whatever is necessary, to join us each week as we do this. And I will keep Apostle Michael as long as I believe that God is telling me to keep him. And, he's <laughs> and, and so, uh, and if you want to partner with us or if you want to do any of that, all the information is on the screen. And please, please, please invite your friends. And you can also get in touch with Apostle Michael. His information has been up there on the screen. And I'm sure Frederick will throw it up there at the end also. So we will be back next week, same time, same station, when we are here really telling it like it is. This is a grown-ups program. This is not for wimps. So we want to say bye-bye. Thank you.